been a really good morning already, and uh, we're going to do this really quickly, but I don't want to, uh, for you to leave without hearing what Solomon has to say to us today. So chapter 5, where we left off last week, verses 10 through 20. Teenagers, this is a really good day for you to be in here, because uh, as we know, this is a, Solomon was one of the richest guys of all time. You'll never have as much as he did, okay? And we all know, the adults in the room, that money is something that we just can't get away from. We have to deal with it, whether we got it or we don't got it, whether we're worried about it or we're not worried about it. Um, because of the way that the world is today, right, um, money is going to be a part of your life, and you need to know what God has to say about it. Would you agree with that, adults? Okay, so verse 10, let's see what this says. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand to leave him. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for all his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 20. Do any of you guys remember the song from the 60s called Money? I know you guys don't. Some people do. It's okay. The lyrics, the best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and the bees. Now give me I know Bill knows this song. Money, that's what I want. Money, give me money. What a contrast between the words that we so often sing and hear on Sunday morning where we say, give me Jesus because he satisfies me more than all the things of the world, right? What a contrast. So which is it? Is money the greatest thing that we could ever have or is it a distant second to God? Now we know the, the churchy answer right? But before you just shout out, oh, of course, money is a second distant to God. Let's really evaluate our hearts and our lives and see how, to, how does that really work out in our own homes, okay? Now, there's nothing wrong, okay, with having money. Let me just say that to begin with. We're preaching this entire book from a guy that had more of it than any of us. Okay, so God is the God of the universe, and we believe he's sovereign, and there are people in the world who have money and people who don't have so much, right? And he kind of decides how things are going to go, okay? 
there's nothing wrong with having the money. The problem is the wanting, the pursuing, the loving of money, okay? When the love and pursuit of money becomes the primary driving force of a person's life, it leads to some serious consequences. And today, Solomon shares five of these consequences with us. So we're going to go pretty quick, but here's five consequences of the loving or the wanting or the pursuing of money. Number one is insufficient funds. We see in verse 10, it says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves his wealth be satisfied with his income. This also is vanity. When Solomon says money won't satisfy, he ought to know. We already know in the past weeks, we, we remember that Solomon, he said, I'm going to go out and figure out what it is about life. You remember he tested uh, riches and he tested working hard, really, you know, testing having a big name, being popular. He tested uh, the pleasures of life and, and drink and food and women. Remember that? He tested all these things and he said what? Nothing. It's all vanity. So he would know. Now, notice that Solomon uses the word, uh, he doesn't use, uh, he uses the word loves money, not possesses money. Again, he's not saying that he who possesses money will never be satisfied. He says he who loves money will never be satisfied. The Bible never attacks those who possess riches, only those who are possessed by their riches. Let me say that again. The Bible never attacks those who possess riches, only those who are possessed by their riches. Those who love money are consumed with finding ways to have more than they have. Those are the ones who are never satisfied. Our, our nation, we have a lot of money. You know, I mean, we're probably the richest nation in the world. When you look at average salaries and things like that, you may not feel rich, but if I showed you a map of the world and show you what actual percent of the world you are compared to the rest of the world, trust me, we are rich, Okay. Most of us have, I mean, even in our parking lot today, there's probably, what, a million dollars or more worth of vehicles, okay? I mean, we're a rich nation, and we have more money today than our parents and grandparents combined. You would think that we would be happy if money brought happiness. But we have more money, but we also have more debt, and we have less savings than anyone in the past. And our country is full of people who are depressed Right? I mean, our country is uh, going through all kinds of negative things. You've got people who are in depression, people who are divorced, bankruptcy, abuse, crime, immorality. These are the things that describe the United States of America, where we are. As yet, if, if money brought all the satisfaction, you would think, well, those things shouldn't be happening, because look at how much that we have. But we are not satisfied, and we'll never be satisfied as, money, as long as money is what we want. No matter how much money we have, it will never be enough. We will always have insufficient funds. So that's the first consequence of loving money. It'll never feel like enough. Number two, expanding expenses. Look at number 11. Parents, you will think this is funny. When goods increase, they increase those who eat them. They increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with their eyes? You remember, remember your life before kids, parents, when both people were working? Man, me and Brooke, we had a lot of money. We didn't even have good jobs, but it was just the two of us, and we both had jobs. There was no one else to feed, you know? I mean, all of a sudden, we get a little bit more money, and then the kids come along, and then, and then now there's more mouths to feed, and things go You've ever Have you ever realized whenever you get a raise, it seems like immediately you've already figured out how you're going to spend that because there's already something happening that you need that money for? Thank goodness I got a raise because, man, my car payment just went up because I bought this new car, 
happens to all of us. Suddenly, you have more expenses, and they consume, if not all, all of that raise. If not all, but most of that raise. Sometimes the expenses consume more than the raise. This is a mysterious thing about money. It seems like no matter how much money we make, we always spend more than what we make. Many of us in America, that's where we are. Even our country does that. So why is this? In addition to our own natural tendency to spend all the money, there will always be others who are willing to help us spend it also, right? I mean, how many ads a day do you see that it's someone on the TV, internet, or billboard wanting to show you how you can spend your money, right? I mean, there's all kinds of people that got great ideas with how Brian should spend his money. It's a funny story about Elvis Presley. He was dirt poor. You know Elvis? You guys don't know Elvis? Google Elvis. <laughs> He's great. Elvis grew up dirt poor. I don't know if you knew that or not. And he suddenly struck it rich. And before he knew it, he had more people living off his income than even he knew them by name. You know, uh, you always see these people who become sudden millionaires by the lottery, right? And all of a sudden, they've got more relatives than they knew. There was a television news program the other day interviewing five people who had recently suddenly become millionaires. And they were asked if relatives they didn't know had contacted them. And all five answered yes. And each relative had begun the conversation with, I'm not calling because of the money. Yeah. Apart from those who attach themselves to help us spend our money are those who just want a piece of it. So no matter how much we make, there will always be someone and more things that we need to take care of with that money. Number three, relentless unrest. One of my favorite things about being a follower of Jesus is peace. Do you know what I mean? Peace, peace, rest. I have no idea how people who don't have a relationship with him go through the hard things that we're going to go through in life because they go through them without the peace and rest of knowing the God who's in charge of all things. So why would we as believers who have access to that peace and rest lose it over something like money? Verse 12, sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. To those of us who believe that a little bit more in our savings account or retirement account will help us sleep better, you need to go to Nicaragua and see some of the most peaceful, happy, restful people in the world who have absolutely nothing. I've been to places all over the world, and the happiest people I've ever met were those who I felt like they have absolutely nothing. How do they be happy? Because they are so happy. Probably because they don't have the worry and the, and the rentless unrest that, that he talks about here in verse 12. Some lie awake at night trying to figure out how they're going to make the next mortgage payment. I've been there before. Others lie in bed at night trying to figure out how they're going to keep from losing the money in the start market, stock market. And then others lie in bed. They're trying to figure out how they're even going to eat the next day. And then for those who have a lot of money, they lay in bed and they worry about not losing it. Right? So no matter whether you have a little bit or a lot, a lot of us lay in bed at night and we worry about money. Although our bank accounts may be different, the basic problem we face is the same. Money begs to be worried about. If you don't have any, you worry about how to get some. If you have some, you worry about how to get more. And if you have a lot, more than you need, you worry about how to keep from losing it. It doesn't matter how much we have. If we are loving and pursuing money, we're going to be worried about it constantly. 
and that will bring the unrest into our life. Which, like I said before, battles against the peace and the rest that we're seeking after all the time as believers to get from Jesus. Relentless unrest, number three. Number four, wasted wealth. Look at verse 13 and 14. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. What that means is he has an heir, someone to leave these things to, yet something bad has happened and he's lost all that he had earned and saved and now he has nothing to leave to his son. What good is money if you can't or don't spend it? It starts out by talking about that person who, who, uh, who has it, but he just holds on to it. This is called hoarding, right? No good at all. Yet some people spend their lives gathering money never to get to use it. They hoard it rather than enjoying what it could do for them. Again, there's nothing wrong with having money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your life and allowing that money to bless those around you. Okay? Nothing wrong with that. Or maybe they save it for later and later never comes. Do we know that death is the respecter of no person. Sidney says that at every funeral I've ever been to, right? He, death is the respecter of no person. doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black, white, young, old. Death comes for all of us. And when all we are focused on is consuming enough money for later one day, we don't even know for sure that later will come. Now, am I saying you shouldn't save? I'm not saying that. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and, and not have any money either but not to be a hoarder. Or after accumulating their wealth, they have a financial disaster like the man in this verse, and it makes it all disappear. There's nothing wrong with planning and being wise and responsible. I think that we want to. I think that God wants us to. I think it's clear that Jesus, he has an opinion about how all of us spend our money. You may think, well, I don't really have any money. Jesus doesn't care how I use it. Do you remember the story of the, of the widow who gave all that she had? You might think, well, I've earned all this money myself. It's my money. God doesn't care what I do with it as long as I give a little bit back to him. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler who Jesus told to give away everything he had to the poor? He may not tell every one of us to sell all that we have and give it all to the poor, but that doesn't mean he won't tell some of us to do that. Just because you have a lot, don't say, well, that's just a parable. God wouldn't really want me to give away everything I have to the poor and be poor myself. That's stupid. Well, if he knows that you are loving money and pursuing it and it's consuming you, he may do that to you in order to free you from that to give you the rest and peace and happiness that he wants to give you in your life. We've heard of people who, because of a swindle, they've lost their retirement nest egg. We've heard of those whose fortune was eaten away by a long illness. We've heard of others who've had to spend all their savings during a time of unemployment. And we've heard of those who have had their finances in order for their golden years, all set up, retire from their jobs, and then die soon later. Wealth is so easily wasted when we have a proper perspective of money, then we can live with such waste. But when the love and pursuit of money is our focus, then the waste of wealth is devastating. 
I think that it's important to have a plan and set up things for your money to be wise with what God has given you. And if you don't know how to do that, you should ask for help. Okay? You should read books or, or go to someone who uh, even is in heritage, who is a financial advisor and will help you set these things up. And then once you do and you've learned these things and you set them up, most likely you can get by with just checking in on it every once in a while instead of having it consume you, okay, and, and, and taking up time out of your life, not having that worry, be able to go to sleep at night knowing, you know what, I don't know what will come, but I've done my best to, to set things up for the future and provide for my family, and I know that I've done it in a smart way because I've had an expert tell me how to do that. But at the same time, I trust in Jesus, not the money that I've set aside, and I'm going to sleep well tonight. Doesn't that seem a lot better than trying to figure it out on your own when we're not financial experts and then going to bed at night worrying about whether or not the next day the same amount of money will be there as it was at the end of the bell ringing yesterday? I mean, come on. That's stressful. Don't waste it. Number five, the last one, and the most important. Eternal poverty. Look at verse 15, 16, and 17. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, in sickness, and in anger. Worse than reaching retirement with too little in your bank account is stepping into eternity with nothing. And if you love and pursue money, that's exactly what you'll take into eternity with you. Nothing. Because money cannot pass through from this life to the next. Did you know that? Those who spend this life gathering money will face eternal poverty. Here's what Abraham told the rich man. Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. This is about the rich man and Lazarus. Remember that? Does this mean that the rich people on earth will be poor in heaven and that poor people on earth will be rich in heaven? Not necessarily. The key is not whether we had treasures on earth, but whether we stored treasures in heaven. Jesus says this in Matthew 6. You know this verse. Do not store up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The love and pursuit of money here on earth will result in eternal poverty. So what's the solution? Let's look at the rest of the passage. Verse 18. Behold what I have seen to be good and fitting. He says, behold what I have seen uh, from God as to be okay, or to be the right way to go about living, is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. So when you work, whether you make $10 an hour or $100 an hour to enjoy what you've earned, the toil of your, of your work, not, not working and being stressed over life and, and worrying about the money, to enjoy it. 
everyone, verse 19, also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. I mean, whenever we get a raise, we say, oh, that was from God. So we have to also think, if I take a pay cut, I have to logically say, this must be from God. What is he trying to show me? What rest or peace is he trying to give me? What lesson am I to be learning from this? For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Instead of loving and pursuing money, love and pursue the Lord. That's the main message for the day. That's what Solomon is saying. He's saying, look, I have it all, so just trust someone like me who's, who's had it all and who has looked for all these things on earth. Don't trust in money. Don't love and pursue money. Trust, love, and pursue the Lord. He is above all. He is greater than gold and silver even. Jesus said this in Matthew 6. What did he say? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve. doesn't say you cannot have. He says you cannot serve both God and money. Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. And the book of Hebrews, also in the New Testament, tells us to keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Money does not give you that promise. Ask anyone who's ever had it and lost it. But God, God tells you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never let you down. I will always love you. You can always trust and depend on me. Love and pursue the Lord. So you might ask, as we close today, real quick, how do I know if I'm a lover of money? Some of you are sitting here and you already know that you are. Some of you are sitting here and you kind of know that you are. And you're trying to make excuses for why you are. Right? Let me ask you a couple of questions, okay? And this... These are not, oh, if you say yes to this, then you definitely are. Just, just, just take it into your heart, okay? Check it with your spirit, and let's see what it says. If any of these are true of you, it's possible you're a lover and pursuer of money. Let me be kind today, okay? It's possible. You have more than you need, but you still want more. You can't stop spending. Your debt drives your decision-making in your home. You don't tithe or desire to tithe to your church family. You worry about not having money or losing the money you have. That's that unrest that he talks about. You spend more time thinking about money than you do the Lord. So what about you? No, you don't have to raise your hand and answer out loud. I won't do that to you today. But as we close in prayer, are you pursuing the Lord or are you pursuing money? It's a really simple, simple question. And sometimes we might think that we've gone so far in a certain thing. This is important teenagers. Sometimes we've gone so far in a certain thing 
or a certain sin or something that is away from the Lord that it's hard to make a stop and move toward him. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever heard someone in their 70s just go, well, that's just the way I am. God, God knows that. It's really hard. It, it's, I know that's funny, but it's really hard to live a long time living a certain way, even if it's opposite of what God desires for us, and to make a change. That's why we've heard that so many times that, that when you reach the age of 18, it's very difficult for someone to make a decision for the Lord because it's hard to change who your God is the longer you've had that first God. Does that make sense? It's really hard to put away old gods. And that's what you're doing when you become a Christian. You guys who were baptized today, what you just did, you traded one God or many gods for one true God. That's what we do. That, that's a simple way of saying, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means I've gotten rid of the old gods and I've decided to live for one God, the true God, Jesus Christ. And sometimes, because we deal with money so often, and it is such a huge thing in what's going on in our country and in our homes, that sometimes if it has become a God, and it's been our God for many, many years, and you've poured your blood, sweat, and tears into that God, it's hard to stop serving that God and serve the one true God. That's why he said you can't serve two masters. That's why he said that. And that's why there were so many things that Jesus had to say about money, because he knew that it was going to have a tight grip on many of us. If you're loving and pursuing money, I want you to know that you can look forward to these things. Insufficient funds, expending, expanding expenses, relentless unrest, wasted wealth, and eternal poverty. It's time that we turned away from the God of money and we turned toward the God Almighty. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. It's been an exciting day today as we know that that's what's been happening as our teenagers have gone to camp, that some of them have decided to turn away from the gods of this world and turn toward you, God Almighty. And we thank you and we celebrate with them in their life because of that today. Thank you for your word and how you encourage us to look toward you, to pursue you, to run toward you in all that we do. Father, give us the courage to put aside whether it's the God of money, the God of desires, the God of lust, any of the things that are in our life that have a tight grip on us, Father, help us to push them aside and to look toward you, for you are the author and finisher of our faith, Lord Jesus. Go with us this week. Help us to be a light to those around us. We love you, Lord. Amen.